0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Longtime listeners of the show will be very familiar with today's guest, my friend, Bill Browder. Bill was once the largest foreign investor in Russia until he was expelled from the country in 2005 for speaking out against corruption and about the murder of his lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky. He's since become one of Vladimir Putin's most prominent critics and targets. He was the driving force behind the 2012 passage of the Magnitsky Act, the law that allows the U.S. government to sanction foreign nationals who have engaged in human rights abuses. Bill joined me in April of last year to discuss his latest book, Freezing Order, a true story of money laundering, murder, and surviving Vladimir Putin's wrath. But a lot has happened in the years since we last spoke. Putin has continued to attack and jail his political critics, including the activist and opposition leader, Vladimir Karamurza. And Bill has continued to speak out as well. Bill, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Preet. So let's start with a couple of things. Tell our listeners, if they don't know, who is Vladimir
2: Karamurza and how did you first meet him? So I, since um, Putin and his regime killed my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, I've been, I have gave up my life as a businessman and I've been on a campaign to get justice for Sergei. And that campaign has run over 13 years. And one of the main things that I tried to do was to create some type of consequences for the killers and, and. We couldn't get any justice in Russia, and so I said, how do we get justice outside of Russia? And the justice outside of Russia eventually crystallized into a new idea and a new consequence, which was freezing the assets of the Putin regime killers and banning their travel. And that concept became known as the Magnitsky Act. And the Magnitsky Act, I started to go to the U.S. Congress and various other lawmaking bodies around the world and asked them to pass the Magnitsky Act. And one of the people who came with me on my lobbying trips was a young man named Vladimir Karamurza. I was able to explain to the lawmakers the Magnitsky story and the concept. And Vladimir, um, who was a Russian, dual Russian, British national, Russian opposition politician, he was able to explain to the lawmakers what the Russian people felt about the Magnitsky Act, which was they didn't want, the Russian people don't want their leaders to be killing and stealing from the people, and they wanted the Magnitsky Act as much as we did. And Vladimir is an incredibly charismatic, articulate, and powerful leader. And between the two of us, we were able to convince lawmakers in 35 countries to support and pass the Magnitsky Act. And for that, Vladimir Putin... Hates both of our guts. And he's issued death threats against me, kidnapping threats. I've been put on the Interpol Red Notice eight times. And Vladimir Karamurza, who has regularly traveled back to Moscow during the time after the Magnitsky Act had been passed, he, they tried to kill him in country. And they did that in 2015 by administering poison to him, some type of nerve agent, which caused him to go into a coma. Multiple organ failure. He nearly died. After a year of recovery from that terrible incident, he went back to Moscow again in 2017. And he was also poisoned again and nearly died. And once the war started in Russia, he and I were in London together. And um, you mean the, the, the Ukrainian war? Uh, yes. Once Putin had invaded Ukraine, Vladimir was in London with me. And I said, Where are you headed? He said, I'm going back to Moscow and i was i was horrified cuz here's a good friend of mine an ally somebody who's been and really important in all aspects of my campaign and he was going to go back to moscow where they tried to kill him twice and i begged him not to go i said you know most likely that they'll try to kill you and get away with it this time or in the best case they'll arrest you and he was completely resolute and he said as a, as a opposition politician, as a person, as a leader, and as a patriot, I have to go back. I'm asking the Russian people to oppose this war. Uh, how can I ask them to do that and to take personal risk if I'm not ready to go to my own country? And Vlad- Vladimir went back to Russia. He um, uh, gave an interview, uh, first on MSNBC. He called Putin uh, a murderer and a war criminal. Then on CNN from Russia. From his apartment in Moscow, he gave this interview, and he called the war a war, which, by the way, is, is punishable by eight years in jail if you don't call it Russia's special military operation and refer to it as a war. And the, the, later the day of the CNN interview, five um, armed police officers arrested him outside his apartment, put him in, in pretrial detention, and then began to layer him with more and more charges. And he was eventually charged with high treason, he was put on trial, and he was given a sentence of 25 years in jail for basically calling the war a war and calling Putin a war criminal. Do you have any hypothesis as to why,
1: and I'm glad that he's alive, although unfortunately incarcerated for political reasons, but do you have any understanding as to why, having poisoned him twice on this occasion,
2: they decided to imprison him instead? Well, it's it's um, you know when he's in their custody, um, it becomes more obvious what's happening. So, when he was poisoned, it's it's all very vague, even vague for us. Like you know, when when did the poison happen? Who who administered it? You know, is he poisoned? All this stuff was was you know it takes a while to figure out, and 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 it's hard to figure out. It's plausibly deniable, but when he's in their custody, it's much less plausibly deniable and. At the moment, I mean, on one hand, they're, they're complete barbaric killers, as we see in Ukraine. On the other hand, they, they kind of want to pretend that they're, you know, playing by some set of rules. And I think it's just a little bit too much. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't poison him or even beat him to death. I mean, this is what happened to Sergei Magnitsky. They, they He was slowly tortured for 358 days, and in the last day of his life, they beat him to death. And so anything is possible and and I don't rule it out. And so all I'm trying to do now is just trying to figure out how to avoid another Sergei Magnitsky by doing anything I can from the outside, which is pretty limited, but there are things I can do. Like what? Well, um, the most important thing I can do at this point in time is to create awareness in the governments around the world and interest in the governments around the world about Vladimir. So that the Russians realize that he's a valuable hostage. And so, you know, Vladimir was responsible for getting the Magnitsky Act passed. And so what could be more appropriate than to have the Magnitsky Act used against the people involved in his false arrest and prosecution? And so we've gotten now the United States, Canada, the UK, and the EU to all sanction his persecutors and the message it sends to Putin is that Vladimir's a valuable hostage. Don't kill him. You know, at some point, you could use him for something like releasing him in exchange for something in the future when there is some lull in the in the anger and, and Putin is, wants something. But the the main idea at this point is just to try to keep him alive. And the best way to do that is for Putin to understand that we care about him in the West. What's
1: Mur's status now? Do you know where... He's being held. Do you know what kind of treatment he's receiving?
2: Well, it's really horrifying. So he, he at the moment, he's he's in Moscow. Um, he hasn't been sent off to hard labor. So he's been sentenced to 25 years of what they call strict regime, which is like just as you would imagine in the movies, just like, you know, chopping, you know, bricks in in a prison yard in Siberia all day long, you know, 15 hours a day type of thing. He hasn't been sent out to do that yet. Um, because he's appealing the sentence and they have to go through this sort of mechanical appeals process. His appeal is supposed to take place on June eighth, and um it will surely be rejected. And after it's rejected, he'll be sent out to Siberia. He will disappear into the system. When they send somebody to the prison camps, um, no lawyer, no family member, no no anybody knows where they are, and they can disappear for a week. Two weeks, three months. I mean, they can send him around for a very long time. And during that time, we know nothing about what's going to happen to him. Even before they've sent him out to strict regime, as they call it, he's lost 55 pounds. I mean, it's it's shocking what he looks like. He's like a skeleton now. He's suffering from the nerve damage that was imposed on him by the um, poison. And so he can no longer feel his feet. Um, he's losing the sensation in his left arm. He has something called polyneuropathy, which left untreated could lead to paralysis. And uh, his wife and I are both terribly worried that that um, he's not going to survive five years, let alone 25 years in his current condition. Is he able to communicate with the outside world at all, his wife and others? He, he is able to communicate with, with his wife and with me and with others via, um, so he can write things down and pass them to his lawyer. His lawyer then passes it to his wife. Um, I just got a letter from him last week, which was a very moving letter that he sent me, thanking me for, for everything that I'm doing for his family and for him to try to make it, you know, to try to help.
1: Do you think that the U.S. government
2: and the U.K. government, aside from the sanctions you've already mentioned, have the ability to do more? Um, I'm certain they do. Um, let's start with the U.S. So Vladimir, uh, his wife is a U.S. citizen. His three children are U.S. citizens. He has a green card. Um, and so he he has, He uh, in theory, the U.S. government should have an interest in him in this particular case. There's a, there's a piece of legislation called the Levinson Act, which is a piece of legislation passed for wrongfully detained Americans or people that America is interested in. And he qualifies under the Levinson Act. And and if the U.S. were to give him the status under the Levinson Act of being formally, quote, wrongfully detained, which he obviously is, then the U.S. government could get to work using all of their resources to have him released. And people listening to the show may remember the um, female basketball player Brittany Griner she was the U S government went to bat for her under the Levinson act and they successfully got her home. Well,
1: they had to to give, they had to give Russia Victor boot in exchange.
2: Yeah. Well, in, in in my opinion, that was a bad, bad trade. She, you know, her, her, her crime was carrying a couple of grams of, of marijuana. His crime was supplying weapons to terrorist groups all around the world. And, uh, uh, he most was famously portrayed in, in a, Nicholas Cage movie, The Lord of War. In any event, whether that was a good trade or a bad trade, uh, when the U.S. government decides under the Levinson Act that they care about somebody, then they go to great lengths to get them released. And And so we've been trying to get Vladimir the designation of wrongfully detained under the Levinson Act. And Who and, makes that designation? Um, Is that the president himself or someone else? Um, the president or the secretary of state or some amorphous combination of, of those people um, make the decision. And I was in Washington about a month and a half ago, and and I I um, went around, and Vladimir is very well known to to many members of Congress, many senators, because he had been living in Washington when he wasn't in Moscow, and he had been telling the story of the Magnitsky Act and been telling other stories. He he was a pallbearer at John McCain's funeral. He's incredibly well known and and beloved on Capitol Hill, and I went and went. Uh, along with his wife Yevgenia, to try to get the U.S. to to use the um, Levinson Act, and we met with many senators and members of the House of Representatives, and and everybody was was saying, of course he should, absolutely, this is like totally sensible. We got eighty one signatures from uh, senators and members of the House of Representatives writing to Secretary of State Blinken, and and this was not partisan at all. We had Nancy Pelosi, Lindsey Graham, uh, Mitch McConnell, Marco Rubio, Benjamin Cardin, all, all sorts of um, people from all different parts of the political spectrum. So what's all, the holdup? Well, it, it, the holdup, I believe, is that um, there are two other people the U.S. wants released. One is is a man who's been there for a long time. Um, his name is Paul Wayland. He has been there long before Brittany Griner was ever released, and I think that they – there's a bit of egg on the face of the u.s government for getting Brittany griner out first when there was one person who had been there a lot longer and i think that paul whelan of course needs to be gotten out and then um unexpectedly uh evan gershkovitz the uh, wall street journal reporter was then taken hostage and and i kind of think that the u.s government feels like their plate is full they don't want to take on a third case but i don't think it's it's number of people you know if 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 there's 10 people that are important, they, they should, the, go- the government should go to bat for them. It's not a, a question of like having a high hit rate. It's a question of doing what's right.
1: How does the war in Ukraine complicate all these efforts? Is uh, Among other things, is Putin more sensitive to criticism than before? Does he feel more, more embattled than before, even with respect to people, uh, individuals like Vladimir
2: Karamurza or Alexei Navalny and others? Well, so, so the war in Ukraine changes everything in all sorts of ways, all negative. So, first of all, of course, Putin tolerated dissent he tolerated a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't say in, in a big way. He, he tolerated people sort of giving him a hard time from the sidelines because he felt reasonably safe and empowered and, and unthreatened. But as, as the war has started, he feels like anybody who says anything about him in any way should be arrested now. I mean, there's not a single you know molecule of oxygen for dissent in Russia. If you hold up a sign that says nothing, just nothing on, on the street, they'll arrest you and possibly sentence you to eight, year, eight years in prison. So that's the first problem. The second problem uh, is that Putin was playing a double game before he was acting as a major criminal before the war. But at the same time, he was sort of you know be, being part of the international community, and and um, and so he, he did care what we thought of him in the West. Now, you know, he just doesn't care. He, I mean, the, I mean, they're bombing Ukrainian civilians on a daily basis, killing everybody in sight. Um, it doesn't. He just doesn't care, and so we have a lot less to negotiate with him on when it comes to people like Vladimir and and Paul Whelan and and. Uh, Evan Gershkovitz and everything for that matter, because you know it's it's now we're now in, you know effectively, if not directly, in conflict with him, you know, in a proxy conflict with him.
1: Last question, because we're running out of time. You and I have talked about the war in Ukraine a little bit during this conversation and obviously previously. As we sit here now at the start of June of 2023, what's the outlook from your perspective?
2: Well, I think that the Ukrainians are going to launch their counteroffensive, when, and when they do, um, they're going to um, do a lot of damage to Putin and his military. I think that they've gotten really a, a huge amount of weapons and 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 other training that they need to, to do a good job. I think the Russians are weak, they're um, demoralized, they've lost a lot of soldiers, they've lost a lot of equipment. But having said that, I don't think that that Ukraine is going to be able to deliver the decisive knockout blow. Putin has a huge amount of resources. He can draft a huge amount of soldiers. And for him, his personal survival is at stake if he loses this war, if he loses the ability to occupy Ukrainian territory. And he will throw in whatever he has for as long as it takes. And so Putin's big bet is that even if he loses some battles he can still throw more and more resources at this and he's got more patience and more tolerance for pain and because there's no democracy in his country than we do and he's hoping and holding out till november 2024 because if there's a change in leadership in america yeah um, trump specifically who's who's effectively said that he would not support ukraine then putin gets a pass on the whole thing
1: well on that somber note Bill, (laughs) I'll let you be. Thanks again for all your work, all your service, and thanks for being on the show, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I co-host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. Letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tattashore. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer-Staten and Noah Azulai. The audio producer is Nat Wiener. And the Cafe team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Barara. Stay tuned.
0: From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight So if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets.